Off the Bench is a podcast created by ASCLS that will discuss the scientific and not so scientific ideas in lab medicine. We are joined by members of ASCLS who are fellow scientists, educators, and researchers. We share ideas and talk nerdy. I'm Sam, a clinical lab scientist working for a biotech company, and I'm joined by my co-host. Hi, I'm Lindsay Davenport Landry, a laboratory manager, and today we're going to talk with Dr. Kyle Riding. He is an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Central Florida. He has held positions at Kaiser University, UMass Dartmouth, and Boston Children's Hospital, among others. He started his educational journey in medicine, medical laboratory science, and became an active member of ASCLS as a student, where he served as National Student Forum Chair. Today, we invited him onto the podcast to talk about his educational journey. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks, Sam. How are you doing this evening? Oh, you know, it's a good Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Hey, I think it's a great week so far. I only have a few weeks left in the semester, so... I'm feeling good. Summer's on its way for me. So, um, Sam, so Kyle and I go way back. And by way back, I mean to back when we were both students. Uh, you know, so it's only been like five, five minutes. Um, <laughs> you guys are all your life, your life students, students for life. Right, yeah, we're never going to stop. Four. We'll say that. We'll say that. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to ask Kyle some questions about his educational journey tonight. So Kyle, um, why did you start MLS? Um, the short answer is I, I look at life and I go, I have no idea how I ended up here. I have no idea how I ended, this, ended up in this field that I love. I have no idea how I ended up in education. Um, but the, the longer answer is I was an undergraduate student at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth campus. And I was um, one of those people that kind of loved everything. I'm a big nerd. So I had always liked science and medicine, but I had always kind of liked the idea of law too, because when I was in high school, like um, there was a bunch of legal dramas out and I was like, that's cool. And forensic show like CSI was out. So I'm like, that's cool. So I went to UMass Dartmouth because it was right down the road from um, where I lived at the time. And I went there as well because my guidance counselor in high school was like, hey, you have no idea what you want to do. They have a lot of different programs of study. Um, go check it out. So big shout out to Mrs. Santos from New Bedford High School right there. <laughs> um, but I started off as a sociology major looking into criminal justice because I really loved, um, like I said, legal aspects. Um, but I hated reading legal stuff. Uh, my sister, on the other hand, she's the lawyer out of the two of us, but I hated reading that stuff. So I found myself in my freshman year um, really having no clue what I wanted to do with life at that point. And I was, real, I was, I was kind of struggling with the idea of even being in college because I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Do I want to be in college? And I went to the nursing department one day because I was like, I like medicine, I like people, I don't like people, but I tell myself I like people. And <laughs> I was like, let me check out nursing. Well, they had a wait list that was two years long. And if you know me, you know I'm someone that doesn't like to wait. So I walked down the hallway in, in any, uh, no one else will probably know UMass Dartmouth, but it's the Dion building. 
and I'm walking through it and I see this big old sign down the hall from nursing that says medical laboratory science and there were newspaper articles about the field and how it had relationships to forensics and it was science and medicine and I was like oh this looks kind of cool so I stumbled in um, to the department secretary's office and said hey I'm kind of interested in the program is there anyone that could talk to me right now and she ushered me into um, Dr. Jim Griffith's office. And um, for anyone that knows Jim Griffith, he is an amazing person, an amazing mentor, and just all around passionate guy about this field. So I remember he kind of pulled me out into the atrium and we sat back and he asked me if I like crossword puzzles and he asked me if I was a nerd. He didn't ask that, but I, you know, <laughs> at the end of the I'm day, I'm like nerdy I'm things. totally envisioning this conversation right now. Well, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's one of those people that once, once, you know, once you get to know him, he'll say that, but he's a very, very professional man at the end of the day. So he kept it very professional, not knowing me. And I fell in love with what he was telling me and next thing you know I'm meeting with um Dottie Bergeron who was Professor Dottie Bergeron who is um now retired as is um Dr. Jim Griffith and uh, Dottie was the transfer student advisor and so she helped me set up my courses and I remember that first semester I was so nervous I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to be playing with blood. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I had an instructor by the name of Beth Hart in our intro lab who did peripheral blood smears with us, like taught us how to make peripheral blood smears amongst other things. And I struggled and I struggled with it. But the thing that stuck in my brain was after you made a good smear and Beth was patient with me and she was a saint for it. Um, she sat back and she, she showed all of us, look at, you just took a sample of blood and now it's on a smear and you can see all of these cells. And I fell in love. So that was really the start of my journey in MLS. And, um, basically all of the faculty at UMass Dartmouth, several of whom are retired, um, Susan, Dr. Susan LeClaire, Professor Eileen Carrero, Dr. Frank Scarano, um, uh, uh, Professor um, Lynn Broder. I'm probably forgetting some, and I feel like a a knucklehead and a jerk for doing that. But, uh, oh, oh, uh, Professor uh, Brenda Barabee, all really shaped my professional opinion of our, or my personal opinion of, of our profession. And they exposed me to a field that I fell in love with because of its intricacies and because of how important it was to medicine and to patients and the difference that you can make. And it was awesome. So Kyle, you were, you know, you happened upon this department and uh, UMass Dartmouth and, uh, you know, Dr. LeClaire, et cetera, they are really big promoters of our profession. So, if that hadn't had that stuff on the wall, do you think you would have stopped? Um, I mean, it's hindsight, of course. It's hindsight, of course. If there wasn't a big, I mean, it was a sign. It was a program sign saying medical lab science. Um, I think most programs would have something like that. Um, 
their placement, some of the some of the outreach that they did with the newspaper articles that caught my eye. I don't know if I'd be here if it wasn't for that. As simple as putting the newspaper article out was, it caught my eye enough that it, I went into Jim's office. Jim brought me out into the atrium, and that was it. And yeah. um, I've told, I, I've, I've reminded um, Jim over the years here and there about that one conversation and the impact it made on me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have the life I have at this point, which I love my life, if it hadn't been for one single decision to walk into an office and his single decision to take the time to talk to this, this kid who looked confused and had no idea what was going on. I'm just so. thinking about so many professionals um, in our field that, you know, don't take the time to talk about what we do. And, you know, it could really make a difference um, if we just take a few minutes and explain it to somebody, especially somebody young who, who doesn't know what we do. Absolutely. And in my current um, position at the University of Central Florida, I, I work for the Med Lab Science program. I actually started at the University of Central Florida in their health science program, teaching um, their pathophysiology sequence. And I would constantly bring up in pathophys my lab medicine background. And I would talk about it and say, oh, I used to do this and I'd see that and this was cool and we correlate that and we talk to physicians about this and that. And the number of students that get so intrigued because they, they don't necessarily, you know, sometimes I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a second. Sometimes in, in med lab, we sit back and we act like we're the only unseen profession in medicine. We're really not. Um, but at the same time, it really is a, a matter of putting ourselves out there more. Um, we're our own worst enemies, which is semi what you're alluding to, Lindsay, in that oh, no one knows about us because they can't see us. No, no one knows about us because we don't take the time, like you said, to talk about ourselves. Um, It it really is sometimes um, a detriment to ourselves and our professional standing that that we don't scream and shout about how important we are. And we sometimes downplay ourselves because others don't see us. I don't care if others see us or not. We are important regardless of that. And um, we should feel comfortable being dignified and respectful in our screaming about how awesome we are. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what I so, love about your story too is I'm over here grinning from ear to ear because I can totally relate to finding somebody and them very, you know, them just sitting with you and going through and talking passionately about the about the field and just getting you so excited about it. And I I've heard that story before and it is people like that that really can you know get the new um, get the new college students who don't know what they want to do and and help them figure out that the med lab science program is probably what would be perfect for them. So absolutely, and and the other thing the UMass faculty really did for for those of us that took the opportunity that they handed us um, was they I mean uh, Jim is a past president of ASCLS. Um, Dottie Bergeron is a past president of what of, of NCA, the um, credentialing agency, and uh, that merged with the ASCP BOR to form the ASCP Board of Certification. Um, I mean, every faculty member there was involved and engaged in ASCLS to a heavy level 
not because they necessarily had to be. They could have just published journal articles and they could have had their tenure like they did and they could have just gotten away with that. But they really saw ASCLS as, as the generalist body of our profession that it really is. Um, not to knock any of our professional colleagues in any other association. There are sisters and our brothers at the end of the day. But um, ASCLS really is the home for us non-physician general group that want to relate back to that generalist group and be proud of that generalist background. There's nothing wrong with being a specialist. If you're a specialist in any discipline, you should engage yourself with specialists like yourselves. But I always felt what the faculty there felt in that as medical lab professionals, let's be engaged in our profession's our profession's oldest and largest group at the end of the day. Um, and so they introduced me to it and they helped us get to my first, my first meeting was a state meeting in Providence, Rhode Island. And um, next one was a legislative symposium. And then I went to a national meeting and I ran for student forum chair and I, it, it all just snowballed from there. And the reason I bring it up right now is, again, I don't think I would be living and loving the life that I have if it wasn't for that encouragement and that support that they provided. Um, because at the end of the day, it showed me it wasn't just my faculty that loved this profession so much. There's a whole group of people in this world that love what we do, wanna stand up for what we do, fight for what we believe in. And for me, like, like any family in the world, I will bicker with some of my ASCLS family members sometimes. And if any of them are listening to this, they're probably rolling their eyes saying, oh yeah, he'll bicker. <laughs> um, Lindsay, Lindsay. I mean, we haven't fought today. <laughs> we haven't fought today, you're right. But at the same time, there are people that pushed me and grew my love for this profession because they loved it so much and they made me see how much value there is in it. Um, and I can never thank those people enough, even if at the end of the day, I will always be in their mind, a precocious little 19 year old um, that, that sometimes spoke up when maybe he shouldn't have because he was too dumb not to. But that that speaking up made a difference in some ways, I like to think. So uh, for at least me at the end of the day. So I don't want to change the subject, but I want to keep going on your journey. Mm -hmm. So we kind of covered how you got into your undergrad, but what about your graduate degree? Um, <laughs> again, total accident. Um, I feel like I, 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 I just gave a presentation recently on uh, medical errors and I start the presentation off by saying literally I'm an expert on errors because I feel like my entire life has been just this sequential se sequence of errors that have turned out okay. Um, <laughs> but um, I was working at Boston Children's Hospital. I was on the bench and I, it was in the core lab. So I was hematology predominantly and chemistry as well. And what I found myself becoming was, again, because of ASCLS, a patient safety advocate. 
um, I was on the patient safety committee. I, I, I like to say I'm an OG of the patient safety committee because I was on it when it was a task force, like big up OGs. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, but what I found was I, I was always a talker growing up. I was always a little shy, but I was always a talker. And I found myself being willing to go to the floors and talk to the nurses and talk to the physicians and represent the lab. And I was lucky. I had a manager that trusted me and I had a medical director uh, or a clinical chemistry director that trusted me. So thank you to Maureen Sampson and thank you to Dr. Mark Kellogg for putting your faith in, in me because that's really a scary thought. Um, but they they kind of sh allowed me to realize I had this passion for um, educating people about lab medicine and what we do and our importance. And so, and I was also teaching as an adjunct at UMass at that time uh, in teaching as an assistant, like in our heme lab, like I was just helping the students focus scopes and Oh, is that a lymph or a neutrophil? Like, you know, silly little questions that people that are just learning would ask, anyone would. Um, but I was really loving it. And while I had always kind of had this passion in my heart for the DCLS, because I was like, God, that sounds so sexy. And I was doing some <laughs> of the functions of it in a rudimentary way, um, with some of the, the, the consultations I would go to the floor and, and do, certainly not to the level a DCLS would do. I don't want to make it sound like I was doing it because I was not. But I, I kind of loved the idea of it. But it was still, there was no solid plan in 2008 um, for a program opening anywhere in the near future. And like I said earlier, I am not a patient person. Um, but what I decided was my brain really liked this education tied in with data-driven decision-making. I still wanted to be in the medical health realm. And so I did some research and what I really found was that public health would be a great fit for me because you can do an epidemiology track, which is what I eventually did, a clinical epi track. Um, you can do a policy track where you're sitting back and you're developing policies and, and advocating for policies, or you can do a health promotion and education track, um, which I always loved the thought of that too. And um, I, I was not in a position financially or in life to, to leave working full-time and go back to school. So I went to a distance-based program. I went to Walden University and um, I pursued what started as a master's in public health. And uh, went through my first year while I was still working at the bench and was loving, 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 loving it. Like it was <laughs> challenging me. It was challenging me because public health, um, is really not what folks think it is. It is very much applied sociology, psychology, statistics, with a little bit of biology and medicine sprinkled in, it, and, and, and educational um, principles. It, it, it's not what some folks think it is. It is so dynamic and so broad that it really, that, that brain I told you about earlier, where I love doing everything, was enamored with it. So I, I had my love of working on the bench, but I also was having my mind engaged with discussions of Cuban um, medical students going around the world and helping with medical missions and talking about the benefits of that. 
And like my brain was in heaven. Like it was the creepiest thing to think that those and hand hygiene. Like I was doing a project on hand hygiene and how to get nurses to wash their hands more. And it like just so much fun stuff. And so I also, at the same time, a position opened at UMass Dartmouth for a non-tenure track full-time teaching position, um, which I had enough graduate credits to teach for. Because um, all of the, all universities that are accredited around the country to teach at them, you need a certain number of graduate credits. You don't always need the graduate degree, which by the way, most schools want, um, but you need a certain number of graduate credits at the base minimum. So UMass took a risk on me because they knew me. I had been teaching. I knew the program. I knew the system. So they brought me in. And I learned in my first semester, I really loved teaching. Really, 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 really loved it. And so I realized if I want to be able to do this, if I want to be in education because I loved it in the clinical environment, I loved it in an educational environment, I realized the best credential I could get was having the first name of doctor um, and having a PhD because there are so many intelligent people in this world and they don't need degrees to be intelligent, but it, you, you sometimes need um, the keys to get into the house. You sometimes need the name to get you in the door, uh, particularly in higher education. It's a very, very hierarchical, old school system where the degree makes the difference. So um, about two years into teaching at UMass, I was feeling overwhelmed. I was, in, I was approaching um, getting into my dissertation. So my major capstone research project, independent research. Um, I was um, really struggling if I, if I, I was, I was kind of, being given an offer to come back to the um, Boston Children's and work on some really, really cool projects. And I was gonna be collecting data from them for my dissertation, um, so it would have worked well. So I had to make a really tough decision and, and leave uh, UMass and um, go back to Boston Children's. And I did my dissertation while I was there. I got more experience. I was part of a lot of different um, uh, root cause analysis teams. I got my Six Sigma training through them because of a, um, an issue that occurred and we were part of a multidisciplinary uh, team trying to solve it. So I got some really good experience out of it. So then I graduated with my PhD and I'm looking around and I'm like, well, I love being on the bench, but I got this graduate degree to do more than that. And there was no real positions available for me at the hospital. Like they were trying, they were, tr they were really trying for me. And I will always appreciate them doing that. But it just wasn't gonna go through. So I found a position as a program director for an MLT program uh, in Quincy, Massachusetts. And um, started teaching there as a, and served as program director, learned a lot in that position. Um, but eventually went back to UMass because my heart was always at UMass. And, <laughs> and then after a year, my heart moved to Florida and I, moved, <laughs> I left UMass again. And so to everyone at UMass, if you ever listen to this, 
please no, I still love you. Please don't hate me. Um, <laughs> but I moved to Florida for, for just for life, quality of life reasons. Um, and I have not regretted he just it. Want, he just wanted more sunshine than snow. I just, I needed more. Yeah, the snow, the, the snow and the weather really <laughs> just did me in. I was. <laughs> After so this winter, I think we're all ready to move to Florida. Yeah. yeah so, I can't blame and, you. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Um, and Mike Bishop hired me. If anyone knows Bishop's clinical chemistry, I got to work for, for Mike Bishop. He's an awesome guy at Kaiser mm. University. We started a MLT program together. Um, learned a lot in that position, but um, I missed being at a big state university. That's where I felt most comfortable, and so that's how I ended up back at UCF. Just positions opened up, and people people like me. They really like me, um, <laughs> or at least they tell me they like me, and then talk behind my back like good friends do. So right, I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. I actually said that the other day. I'm like, well, they're really nice to my face. Um, yeah, to your face. <laughs> <laughs> no, everybody loves both of you. <laughs> so, what is your what is your um what are your credentials, Kyle? My credentials. It is Kyle B. Writing, comma, PhD, comma, MLS, ASCP, CM is what my credentials are. <laughs> Lovely. Which I've counted, and if you count the parentheses, it actually is more characters in in my credentials than it is in my name. <laughs> oh, see, that's not going to happen for me. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, you have a long yeah. So <laughs> Talk about Yeah, you have a long name. Talk about your DCLS program that you're on, Lindsay. I kind of want to hear a little bit about that while we're talking about higher education. Like, if you could just explain for people who might not be really familiar with the DCLS, program and then um, kind of maybe anything else you want to share about it how i usually describe it to people not in the lab community and i mean most of the people listening to this are obviously in the laboratory community but how i kind of describe it to people who are not in the know is so it's kind of similar to a farm d where a pharmacist gives consults now within especially within the hospital and so if there's um providers who have questions about what medication to give that person does that so in the other realm it's like what tests do i need to check to see what's going on with this patient he had he's clotting what do i need to order when should i order it um, is this medication going to interfere is there genetic testing i should do what do these genetic tests mean um, so that's just one example of something that a doctor in clinical laboratory science can do. They also have the ability to help run laboratories. Um, and they could definitely play a role in laboratories that don't have pathologists at them full time. They could help um, do a lot of the clinical pathology side of the house. Um, not blood banking still, of course, but um, a lot of pathologists are anatomically trained, and so sometimes you just need somebody with a little bit more clinical background um, to help in uh, that side of the house. So a lot of like rural hospitals um, share pathologists. There's like one pathologist for, you know, five hospitals, um, different critical access hospitals. So um, this person can help assist with that as well. So there's lots of different things that DCLS can do. Um, but so far we only have one graduate out there. So there are some struggles still with the DCLS and, you know, I'm kind of facing that right now. Like 
to do your one year residency, you have a one year unpaid residency. So you're gonna have to leave your job and travel to a place that has um, a clinical site. So those are things you have to think about, right? So um, you can do a lot of the um, coursework. Um, I mean, almost all of the coursework can be done uh, through distance learning. And we have two schools um, right now who are live with the program and a third coming um, coming uh, soon. So, you know, there will be more graduates, but, you know, you have to weigh where you are in your career and uh, what you can what you can give up and what what decisions, uh, what things are most important to you right now. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, especially with only having one graduate out there. It's so early. Yeah. Um, and, you know, getting clinical sites and stuff, I think um, that you make some really good points for people who might be thinking about the program or wanting to know more about it. So that's really helpful. So there, um, it sounds like there are a lot of opportunities out there and people are looking for this position. And, um, but, you know, if the only position um, I get offered is across the country, is, is that something that's going to fit my lifestyle right now? Possibly not. But would it fit somebody else's who uh, doesn't have uh, two kids and a husband and a mortgage in Iowa, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I mean, if they offered me a, a job next to Kyle, maybe I could move down there and live with him for a little while, right, Kyle? Girl, back off. <laughs> yes of course you could yeah right okay but you know I mean it's just things you have to think about so um I mean it's an awesome awesome career path and I'm really excited that we we're, we have that now in the lab community um they've been working on it for a very long time and now it's actually like go live time so we got to promote it yeah, well, and I'm just going to sit back and say I don't envy you one bit because I don't miss being a grad student and working full time. No. Yeah, right. That's a little bit crazy. And this year, um, I took on a new challenge and um, uh, God bless Kyle because I am teaching hematology to <laughs> your MLT program um, students. And I was like deer in headlights, like, where do I even start? So Kyle is actually one of the co-editors of the entry-level curriculum for ASCLS. Um, I think, Kyle, you could probably do a better job of telling us what that is and how you use it. I hope I can. Oh, God, um, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so back in, I want to say, um, 2000, uh, the year 2000, um, ASCLS um, um, commissioned a task force of volunteer members um, led by Marsha Armstrong and um, Brenda Therabee to develop the entry-level curriculum for our profession. And what an entry-level curriculum essentially is, it basically it outlines the requisite skills and knowledge that you need to be able it, through, you need through your educational program to be an uh, effective new professional. So on day one of your career, what should you know and be able to do, essentially? Um, one of the things that I hate is when and one of my new grads goes out and people sometimes expect them to know everything right off the bat. 
Like, why don't they know how to differentiate lymphoblasts from myeloblasts? Well, I don't know. You didn't make me enough lymphoblast smears to have in my student lab, so I couldn't <laughs> show them. Plus, that's not really entry-level practice. Have some level of understanding for what they need to know versus what's nice to know versus what they really don't need to know at all because they'll never see it in the first five years of practice. So it really is meant to guide the new the, the, the programs, the educational programs at both the MLT and MLS level to say, this is what your students should be able to do. Because a textbook um, is, is meant to convey all of the pertinent information in the scientific discipline. However, I, I mean, I, I just had two uh, chapters come out in a hematology book and there are a lot of molecular mutations in it. Do new graduating medical laboratory professionals need to know to a high level of degree what the FLT3 genes impact is on prognosis? No, they don't. They don't need to know that. But should they have an idea FLT3 is associated with AML and it's important to understand that maybe one of the markers being tested for? Yeah, sure. It's nice to know, but yeah, you gain a lot more of that stuff like as you practice and why exactly. when, you, when you understand what that really means. Bingo. So um, it really, it, it's meant to try and guide people in programs to say, hey, this is what you really need to know. Okay. So just, just, you don't need to teach them every detail but these are the details that are really important at the end of the day. Um, so they commissioned that in 2000 and then it was used and it was a really good document. Don't get me wrong. I used it as a program director. It was, it was great, but it hadn't been updated in 15 years. And in case people are, having a moment, uh, 15 years in our profession in terms of the knowledge students need to acquire is a lifetime of information. A lot had changed. Organism names and micro had changed. Uh, special stains in hematology were rarely done. Uh, there was no flow cytometry for immunophenotyping and leukocyte neoplasms that's now part of the board exam. Um, so there was just stuff missing in it or things that were irrelevant these days. Um, so what we, what happened was there is in ASCLS, it's called the Education Scientific Assembly. It's composed of all educators or people interested in education, but predominantly educators. Um, and within that, there is a subgroup called CEPI. And I wanna say that's the Committee on Educational Programs and Initiatives. And I know I'm probably wrong on that, but I believe that's what CEPI stands for. And back in 2015, Joan Plancic, who had been just a mentor and overall wonderful person to me through the years, was the chair of CEPI. And the group agreed that the entry-level curriculum needed updating. And they wanted two people to lead the efforts like Marsha and Brenda had done in 2000. Um, Joan it, had been at the, has been at the MLS level. And I, at the time, was at the MLT level and also had been an MLT program director. 
we wanted both perspectives represented because at the end of the day, there should be a differentiation between the MLT level of practice and the MLS level of practice. Um, so there should be a higher level of correlation happening at MLS. There should be a stronger emphasis on technical ability at the MLT. Not to say that, M because I know some people will rip me a new one, MLS <laughs> still has to have a high level of technical ability and MLT still need to be able to correlate. So I'm not saying that, but the focus of each level of practice needed to be differentiated and updated. So um, that was kind of the purpose was to update it. Joan had reached out to me, asked if I was interested in participating. I said, yeah, that sounds like, like really cool. And I took that on while having just moved to Florida, starting a program, going through the NACLS um, accreditation process, trying to set up a life down here. Oh, and just help be part of the rewrite of our profession's curriculum. And then, oh, and then I was working with Sam Yu and the Leadership Academy. Mm -hmm. so I, was, I was just going to say that. You were a Leadership Academy. <laughs> I was the facility. Yeah, I was your facilitator. So I, um, yeah, I, I have learned, I, I have learned over the years how to say no, but it just wasn't a moment to say no. Um, so basically what we did was Joan and I realized that we are not experts in all aspects of, of medical laboratory practice. Um, we, we know education, we know our specific disciplines, and we're, we're generalists, so we have a general idea of each discipline. But if you're going to craft curriculum, you need experts. So what we did was we took each major discipline and we found two content experts. Um, sometimes Joan or I were the content expert in particular areas. Like, for example, I was content expert in hematology uh, at the MLT level and the generalist slash admin stuff um, for MLT as well. So, so we, we double dipped here and there, but we, we, we kind of convened a working group of people who were experts. They went through their individual sections and said, delete, 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 add, add, add. And what we did was we came up with a document that we presented at the 20, ooh, 2016 or 17. It, 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 yeah, I forget. It, it, might have, it might have been, the last collect I went to, I think was 2016. So it was the 2016 Clinical Lab Educators Conference. Not that anyone cares what year it was, but um, what we did was we, we basically had um, general sessions at, at CLEC as it's uh, um, known, which by the way, if anyone is interested, CLEC 2020 is here in Orlando, February 27th through the 29th. <laughs> it's during leap year. So take a leap to Orlando, if you know what I'm saying. So nice. wink, wink. So um, with the ELC, mm -hmm. um, for those of us who are, you know, new to the teaching realm, yeah. um, do you use the ELC to d drive your what you need to teach your kids? Um, the idea with the ELC, how we designed it, was um, for any educational program, one of the things that you need to do, uh, it just good educational practice, is you don't just give a student a textbook and lectures and say learn. You give a student learning objectives, which start off essentially with an action, an action verb that we can measure. So for example, define is an action verb that we can measure. Can they define what a leukocyte is? Can they define what an antigen is? Okay, so I can measure that. Um, 
and there's different levels. There's a taxonomy in terms of the verb. So define is a very simplistic level. You can go all the way up to like justify, synthesize. Like you can, you can really get to high levels of taxonomy. It's called Bloom's taxonomy. I really love doing that, that type of work. You, you use that action verb, you have um, what they should be able to do, the, the level and the criteria for success. And the idea was breaking it up into sections. So for hematology, we broke it up into hematopoietic stem cell theory and then followed up with you know hematology automation and lab testing, followed up by red cell dynamics and then anemia. So it was kind of discrete units that made sense. So what educators could do was sit back and, and basically take these objectives and copy them into their course or copy and edit them if they so chose. Um, because every program's a little different. You have to edit them to your needs. So that was the intent because NACLS, which is the accreditation agency for programs out there, that you, you, a program needs to get accredited by NACLS so their students can take the board exams when they graduate. NACLS requires learning objectives be used to write tests. Um, so basically, we're sitting back and crafting those, and I've used them. In my class, I used it for blood bank when I started teaching blood bank again, and it worked quite well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because when I first learned about ELC, I was like, oh, I didn't even know this tool was available. That is going to help immensely. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, it's you kind of know it's there, but you like, you don't use it. So then other new educators, I'm sure, have the same thing. But so that's kind of a, a neat um, thing that ASCLS offers. And I'm really glad that you guys finally uh, updated that because, yeah, 16 years is a long time in lab medicine. Yeah. And it's now part of a rotating cycle with the body of knowledge where it will not be another 16 years. It will be every five years or so now. Good. So what are you currently doing as a member of ASCLS, Kyle? What's on your agenda this, uh, this year um, or this Season. So <laughs> this year I have been um, serving, I served as a board member for Florida State Society and uh, spring uh, seminar program chair. I am program uh, committee chair for the region three triennial meeting. Come to, Pan uh, come to Florida for if continuing ad credits for anyone interested in September. Um, I am the chair of a new committee for ASCLS. That's a really fun and exciting um, committee called the Marketing and Communications Committee. We're basically um, providing input and suggestions on how ASCLS can better market and communicate. And I am running for um, secretary treasurer of the board of directors for uh, coming up this June. So. Um, I'm running unopposed, so, but if there's a writing campaign against me, I'm putting up a fight, so. <laughs> well, I know I'm not my energy. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been fortunate to be invited to several state meetings to speak, so I'm, I've been grateful for that. I love meeting people around the country. Well, that keeps you pretty busy this spring, doesn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey. Um, there's a lot of insight that went along with your comments. So everybody uh, hit our Facebook page and join the discussion. So.
That's it for this episode of ASCLS Off the Bench. We'd love to hear from you. 